CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey, everyone. Happy Monday and welcome to The Hash. I'm Jensen Essie. That's Wendy O, who is just waving over there. Will Foxley and Christy Harkin here with us today to break down what's going on in the crypto headlines. Wendy, I believe you have our first story. Some interesting things happening in the trading world. Yes, some very interesting things. And I know that the audience is going to miss my story about me saving the skunk last week. I was able to share that with you guys. But let's talk about some potential skunk savior. We saved the skunk. audience know. We (laughs) saved a skunk. We rescued him out of the pool. And then he came back last night at 11.30 p.m. PSG to play in my daughter's playhouse. But he's safe. He's okay. No skunks will be harmed in the show. But anyways, Testnet Guerli. I like to call it Testnet Gary because it just sounds kind of funnier. I don't know. Um, Ether spikes to $1.60 as traders jump on opportunity meant for developers. See, there's an opportunity to make money everywhere in crypto. So GETH pumped over $1.60 this weekend, rising from $0.07 last Friday. And it reached a market cap of $15 which is pretty impressive. Nearly a million dollars worth of GETH was traded in the past 24 hours with $3.79 million total of GETH in circulation and 1,260 token holders at press time. But it has now dumped over 40%, which makes sense because that's kind of what traders do. They get in and get out. Golari is a test net version of Ethereum for developers to simulate transactions, smart contracts, and test their code prior to deploying on mainnet. Well, since you are our tech person, I think, are you the tech savvy person of the show today? Maybe. I'm going to toss, it, today I'm gonna it toss this over to you. I'll toss it yeah, over to you. Christy's even though it's not a too. You or Christy, you guys want to fight for it? You, you got options today. That's a nice thing. I'll All take right. it really quick I'm and a, throw it over to yeah, Christy. Give it to you. Yeah, this is a funny story. And I think it kind of goes to the point that everything crypto has a price, right? Like most things in the world actually have a price. We just don't think about it because there's not really a marketplace for them, right? So like I'm in a room right now with a bunch of potted plants, not really a price that we think about for them, but they actually do have a price. We just don't have a marketplace for them. And Go Early was the same story, right? There wasn't really a marketplace for Go Early ETH. Like if you wanted some, you'd go into a Discord channel, you'd ask a bot for some, and then it would send it to your ETH address just as a faucet. This is a common thing in crypto, right? Going back in history, there was even Bitcoin faucets when Bitcoin basically had no price because there was no marketplace for it. Once these marketplaces start showing up, people start pricing things. And the same thing is happening with GETH here, right? Where 
they put it on Uniswap for the first time, and then it starts trading at a price. And people don't like that because it really is used just for developers. People use GETH to test new applications. It's really the only purpose for getting it. And all of a sudden, it has a price and people aren't comfortable with it. I'm not really uncomfortable with the story though, because I think it just makes sense. Like it's not ever going to have the price that ETH does because ETH is where the action actually is, where people are actually putting applications on chain that people are using for trading and finances and things like that. GETH is just for testing things around. So I think people got uncomfortable with it. But to me, it's not too big of a deal. But Christy, you might have another take. Yeah, I, I first off, my, my, uh, my first reaction was, wow, is this ever dumb? Because these are testing tokens. These aren't supposed to have value. The value is in the testing environment. And it is, as you said, they were, they were distributed through a faucet. Like you just got it for free in order to test things. Now, what is, I think, unfortunate about this situation, and this is where, as Will alluded to, people are getting uncomfortable about it, is that it's basically going to end up wrecking the test neck. There were, I think, four test nets originally before the mainnet release of ETH2, as they say, <laughs> um, of proof of stake. And they deprecated two of them. And Gorley is one of the remaining test nets. And now we're going to lose Gorley because it's having these tokens and ascribed value to them now that makes it expensive for developers to use them and test things on the network in the way it's meant to. It looks as if they may just deprecate that network as well. One of the developers said it's done well, it's run its course, and that's totally fine. You know, what happens if they do the same to the next test network that's left? That's, the, I think, the concern there. I don't know how big a concern that is, but that's, I guess, one of the reasons why people were uncomfortable with the whole idea of these tokens for some reason, you know, reasons having value suddenly. What do you think, Jen? Well, I have a, a bunch of GE that the developers send me to test things. And I read the headline. And I was like, am I rich? And then turns out I'm not. Um, <laughs> but the, the story made me wonder, Christy, and maybe you can answer this question for me. How is this going to affect the developers? Like, it doesn't have a big impact on developers who are building things now. What's going to happen? I, I don't know. I mean, literally, mm -hmm. I don't know. I just know that if you are a developer who is randomly testing stuff on the Gorley test network, then it's going to cost you to use the GEs in order to make your products or your, your applications run or test. Now, perhaps this will then get kicked back to a company that is sponsoring the developers or who's hired these developers and they can eat the costs and it's no big deal. But it does look as if they are just going to end the test network, which means they will lose that environment and have to switch to, I can't remember which one's left, but there's at least one left because two of them were already deprecated. So yeah, that's, I think, the concern. And hopefully we don't end up with the same thing happening on the remaining network. Anyway, that's, that's anybody have anything else they want to add to that before we... I, I totally get the concern that it's, you know, making it harder for the developers to develop and, you know, focus on what they're doing because of the cost implied now. But at the same time, I think that this is also a cool part about crypto is that people can find value in anything and create value anywhere. And I just like the idea of being able to transact and, you know, use different things however you want to use them. But again, I still empathize with the developers because I understand that can be a little bit of a pain. You do, yep. Jen. Speaking of finding value anywhere, Bitcoin ordinals. <laughs> <laughs> this, I like this story. I'm very, so the allure of Bitcoin ordinals, 
DeFi drives crypto funds to Bitcoin layer two token Stacks. I think it's kind of cool that Stacks is finally getting its due, quite frankly. So Stacks is a company that's been around a long time. It's a layer two protocol built on top of Bitcoin. And the whole point of the Stacks network is for DeFi on Bitcoin. They are not co-opting the narrative of NFTs on Bitcoin because they've been offering this as an option on Stacks for quite a while. So back in 2017, it was a company called Blockstack. And it was started by Ryan Shea, who's a real Bitcoin OG. He's been around forever. And he started this layer two for Bitcoin back in 2017. And people were like, what the heck? Why are you doing this? All you're doing is creating an altcoin, only they did not use the word altcoin, in order to transact on Bitcoin. And the cool thing as any layer two is everything is finalized on the Bitcoin blockchain, but it takes the process, it takes the data off of the blockchain itself, off the Bitcoin blockchain itself. Now, there are two reasons why this is kind of cool. One is that, as I say, it's got some pedigree. It's been around a long time. This is not some new thing that just got spun up in order to uh, take advantage of the NFTs on Bitcoin, the ordinals on Bitcoin narrative. The second thing is Stacks, when they first did this, they went to the SEC back in 2018 and they got their STX token approved. It is not a security. It was deemed not a security in 2021. That means that investors can legally trade the STX token in the US on crypto exchanges. And that's a really big deal right now when everything is being scrutinized. So these are very safe tokens and they are meant to encourage DeFi on Bitcoin, which is, you know, kind of the big deal right now. So, yeah, Wendy, you must have something to say about that. Oh, I definitely do. And I'm here to bring the heat. So. We all talk about operating in a true decentralized economy and we all see the Bitcoin maximalists just completely hate every single altcoin or every single cryptocurrency that isn't Bitcoin. So congratulations <laughs> to that. But what they don't know that they're doing is because they're sitting here hating on all these altcoins so much, they're actually encouraging DeFi to flourish on Bitcoin. And that requires altcoins to be created to process some of these things, some of these layer two solutions, et cetera, for the Bitcoin ordinals and for different DeFi applications on Bitcoin. So I guess... They kind of screwed themselves by doing that. But I think it's a cool thing. And I like to see innovation being built on Bitcoin. I do personally think that Satoshi would be proud about this because you're supposed to create. And again, I stand by this argument. If we did not have altcoins, Bitcoin would not be where it is today. Well, Jen. I'll take it quickly. I'm with Christy. I really like this story. I want to point to North Rock Digital mentioned their investment thesis in the article. They said that stacks offer several advantages over blockchains like Ethereum, including lower fees, faster transaction times, and enhanced security. I think this is really interesting, right? Because we're seeing all of these layer twos pop up on Ethereum trying to do this exact same thing. And then we have Bitcoin, who's kind of just been doing the same thing for, for a while. We have stacks, and now there's this same offering over on Bitcoin. Why I think this is interesting is because Bitcoin has been around so much longer than all of these other chains. And if we talk about mainstream adoption, I think, you know, someone hears Bitcoin, they, they think, oh, like, I know that um, it's been around for a long time. I haven't heard anything bad about Bitcoin. And now we have Stacks. If you head on over to their website, their communications are really friendly. The way they talk about what's going on is really simple, which I think is different than some of the layer twos that are coming out on Ethereum. And they're really focused on these like social apps and, and NFTs. And when they talk about DeFi, they do it in a way that I think is a little bit different than some of the other layer twos. So I'm with Christy. This is exciting. Will, 
off to you. I've come to disagree with all of you guys today. That's the reason why I woke up. So I don't (laughs) have an opinion necessarily on stacks. Kind of neutral on it because I have not really investigated it. Like it has been around for quite a while. They did have that nice SEC thing a few years ago where they're like not a security, which was sort of confusing, but also they did that. So good job on the homework there. The thing that's interesting about this headline and the story is the fact that Ordinals, which is a non-stacks product, it's a Bitcoin product that only needs Bitcoin to function is being assumed into this conversation with stacks. And a lot of these VCs and investors are sort of like pumping their own stacks investment on the back of ordinals becoming a thing, which are completely separate. And in fact, ordinals, the creator, Rotomore, Casey Rotomore, you can find him on Twitter, at Rotomore, tweeted that he hates stacks. And yet these people are looking at this and combining the two stories. I think that's like very common in crypto though, right? Like we have similar products, similar projects, And then people sort of lump them together and then bake their investment thesis into it. So I'm not saying this is something that's like random or something that's like doesn't happen that often because it does happen quite often where people sort of like pump their own investment thesis. I do think we need to take note of it, however, because there's a big separation between ordinals, which is Bitcoin only, and stacks, which is built on top of Bitcoin with its own token. And then the fact that you don't really need them to work together. The stacks guys even came out to this point over the weekend and tweeted about it a little bit. Forget the guy's name who, who's talking about it, but very different projects. I don't know whose hand went up. Oh, I want in on this real bad, actually. Okay, yes, they are totally separate <laughs> projects, except, except that they are both doing NFTs. So they're not completely different. These are not, this is not well, an Apple's two NFTs though, right? Ordinals create <sighs> NFTs. Ordinals, okay, or, <laughs> NFTs are being, are being, put on Bitcoin via ordinals. Come on. That's the conversation. And yes, here we go. So Bitcoin maxis hate ordinals because it's not a transaction. It's not money. It's stuff that's going to bloat the blockchain and ah, freak out, freak out. But they don't like stacks because stacks has an altcoin on it and it, you know, settles on the Bitcoin blockchain. So they don't like that either. But you know what? Here's the thing. We are getting both. We are getting two different things and you can either be Bitcoin only as in you're going to stuff it into the, the SegWit field and, you know, annoy people that way, or you're going to use Stacks on a layer two and use their STX token in order to do that and annoy people that way. So, you know what? Somebody's going to get annoyed simply because we're doing something that isn't, you know, peer-to-peer money. It's something else. It's all creative and we can all do the things, right, Wendy? Well, one of the things I want to say is the Bitcoin narrative has changed over time. When my stepson originally got into Bitcoin, it was literally for P2P transactions. And then it turned into this deflationary thing. And then it turned into you have to hold, you have to stack sacks, you cannot sell your Bitcoin. So the narrative changes over time. And I think that's okay. I think it's a beautiful thing. You don't want something to stay stagnant. You want people to be able to use it however it works for them. If you like to hold, great. If you like to dollar cost average, if you like to trade, if you want to use it for P2P transactions, just like Satoshi intended it to be, that's fine too. If you want to inscribe um, NFTs, Bitcoin ordinals on it, that's fine too. I think the beautiful thing about Bitcoin is, is we do not have a third party that gets to dictate what we do with Bitcoin. The only impressive third party that we have is some of the toxic maximalists that make it an issue. Will? All I'm going to say is beware of the crypto funds pumping their own investment based on something else happening in the market. This happens time and time again. Something unrelated to their investment occurs and then they pump their bags with it and then people buy into it. So just be careful out there. There's a lot of sharks I agree in the water. 100%. Okay. Fair point. 
calling all early stage crypto blockchain and Web3 startups, teams and builders. Apply to Coindesk PitchFest, powered by Google Cloud, and pitch live on stage at Consensus in Austin this April. Winners will receive two VIP Piranha Passes to Consensus 2024, featured coverage on Coindesk, and an invitation to present at Coindesk's Private Investor Summit, Ideas 2023. Learn more and apply at consensus.coindesk.com slash pitchfest. We are going off to France, where authorities have arrested a duo involved in the platypus exploit. The flash loan exploit drained the protocol of more than $9 million and knocked Platypus USD off its peg. Now the two people accused of carrying it out are in custody. Will, I am going to toss this one off to you. I believe the exploit happened on the 16th of February. And so I was quite surprised at how fast the authorities were able to find these two. Uh, What did you think when you read the story? This is a crazy story because this first flash loan attack or the first like big one to ever happen in DeFi actually happened three years ago this week at ETH Denver in 2020. So it's a weird callback for this to occur at the same time during ETH Denver here uh, in February. So this story itself, I think to your point, Jen, it's sort of not striking to me that they were actually able to get them that pass because if you don't cover yourself, like you can be found really quickly. Mm-hmm. Fact is that your computer does tell you, tells other people where you are on earth. And if you are stealing money from somebody else, well, the cops can come get you. This is indeed the internet age and they will just track you down pretty quickly. That being said, it is cool to see like this was tweeted out. This was all out there in the public. They're able to recover funds and cops, they're getting into the digital age, right? Like they know how this stuff works now more than ever. They're quite aware of it. I think we're going to see more and more stories like this. The one thing that's interesting to me, the tidbit out of here, I think the poll is flash loans. And are flash loan attacks actually an attack on a financial system? And are those people who are instigating these flash loan attacks going to be prosecuted as if they're attacking a financial product, as if they're hacking it? If you look at like how these code bases work and how flash loans actually work, it's more of a manipulation of the parameters of a protocol and less so a drainage of funds from the protocol itself. It's because the thing was engineered incorrectly and someone figured out how to play the game better than other people. So far, we've seen uh, a lot of prosecutors and judges not really care that that's a fact. They just care that people lost money. But if you really talk to someone who's maybe like on the more conservative side of things in terms of DeFi or Bitcoin, they'd probably tell you that if you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. I'm going to throw this one up to Wendy and get your take on it. I'm just happy to see that they actually caught people that did bad things because we hear all of this in the crypto space. This person's a scammer. This person's a scammer. But in reality, are they really scamming? This particular case sounds like these people were actual scammers. I haven't been able to look at the evidence to determine that or not. But again, we do have bad actors in the industry and it's good to see those that are actually doing bad things be held accountable and shout out to the law enforcement that was able to get these guys so fast. Hopefully there will be no more exploits from them in the near future. Jen? Yeah, I just want to add that Platypus tweeted and thanked Binance and Zach XBT, who's like a digital sleuth for helping identify the attacker. I thought it was really interesting that Binance's name is in there, given what's been going on with Binance when it comes to regulators. And, you know, on one side, they're assisting regulators. On the other side, the regulators are coming for them. And I feel like Binance is really starting to create a name for for themselves as the exchange that is willing to work with regulators so that they can continue to hold on to that top spot. Christy, what do you think? Well, I think the one thing that kind of stood out to me and Will sort of touched on was the fact that the attack was a flash loan attack. 
which in itself, flash loans are not, you know, illegal, so to speak, they're a legit trading strategy. But this particular attack used a logic error within USP smart contracts, which continually checks for solvency. So there was actually a coding error that was in the Platypus platform. We'll say that 10 times fast. This is a problem with a lot of these, you know, I, I, I kind of was like, oh, yeah, you know, another day, another attack on another platform that half the people probably haven't even, most people haven't even heard of. And, uh, you know, to throw back to our earlier segment where you have, you know, say Bitcoin, which has been tried, tested and true for quite a long time. I just have a hard time trusting many of these smaller platforms that just haven't been around long enough, haven't been checked thoroughly enough. And these kinds of coding errors just seem to pop up on a, you know, weekly, biweekly basis. So, yeah, I, I'm just kind of meh about that. What do you say, Will? I think we got to get different names in DeFi finally. Like we're done with the food tokens. Now you give me platypus exchange and then gets hacked. Like it's, it's hard to take this all seriously, even though a lot of people lost money. <laughs> like let's get some real names out there, people. Okay, we'll leave that story there. Let's go to the next story. Binance is in the headlines once again, along with KuCoin and Huobi. This is about Russian exchanges or Russian banks being allowed to be used for certain exchanges. Most of these exchanges are based out of the Seychelles. Again, Binance is listed in this report along with KuCoin and Huobi. KuCoin and Huobi are sort of like the bigger exchanges listed in this piece. According to this new report from Bloomberg, they're basically stating that Russian banks are still being able to use and processed on these different crypto exchanges, even though the US and other Western countries have sanctioned these banks. Basically, it tells you that hmm, in crypto, sometimes you can kind of get around the rules might be able to process your trades or uh, withdraw your money on exchanges that are global just because they sit on the internet outside the jurisdiction of the US and other countries. So of course, it's going to bring down more ire on the crypto industry, which has already gotten a lot of it from regulators in the US over the last year. A lot of people are not happy with the fact that, hey, money is global and there's a lot of neutral blockchains out there that can process trades and exchanges from countries that other countries don't like. The story just adds more fuel to the fire. Jen, I want to throw a story up to you, get your take on it. Yeah. So when it comes to sanctions, I think the regulators, you know, are, are watching with a very close eye, especially when it comes to crypto. I pulled this quote from the article from Adam Zarazinski, who is the digital chief executive officer at Inca. He said Tether is frequently used by Russians to move money out of the country. He added it's absolutely used by these two exchanges in particular to provide crypto banking services to sanction Russian banks. I worry about statements like this about stable coins because of what just happened with BUSD. The regulators, you know, went after Paxos, BUSD, then came under regulator eyes. I just worry that this is not going to be good for Tether that they were mentioned in this report. That is completely speculation based on what's been going on. But that's kind of where my head was at this morning. Wendy, what do you think? I think that we're in a very interesting time. Bitcoin and cryptocurrency was created so that anybody can transact. Unfortunately, we do have a lot of bad actors in the industry, but I feel like it's very sad to just sit here and say, not, not anybody on the show, but in, just in general, just go ahead and sanction particular countries and the people that are there, there's probably innocents that are there that just want to transact, trade, et cetera. And they're having to feel the blowback just because they happen to be born somewhere. So my mind always goes to that place. I have a big heart and I want people to be able to have access to money. And that's part of the reason why I'm in crypto and why I'm in Bitcoin. 
And unfortunately, we're just going to keep hearing stories like this that come out in mainstream media, especially big outlets like Bloomberg to kind of FUD what's happening in crypto and kind of take away that people should have the right to transact. And we're trying to operate in a true decentralized economy. You know, the thing is that no matter what the exchanges are going to do, it's always a game of whack-a-mole. As uh, Chagri Poyras from Binance said, there will always be users with bad intent that try and circumvent even the most advanced controls. And, you know, they, they do what they can, but some say they're not doing enough. Others, you know, are saying, hey, what are you going to do, Will? Yeah, last bit from here, KuCoin did distance themselves from its report. We're still waiting to hear from who will be on everything regarding their involvement with this. Definitely something to keep an eye on because a lot of people are not happy with the situation. Jennifer, up to you as we close out. All right, we're going to leave it there. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. I'm Jen Sinassi. That's Will Foxley. We've got Wendy O today and Christy Hartigan for The Hash. We'll see you guys tomorrow. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details.